I got good news. God is for you. Amen? Amen. Hey, if that's all you hear today, that's enough. So if you need to press news, I'm good. God is for you. God is for you. Man, what a powerful song. What a powerful reminder. Man, it's so good to be together this morning. Uh, man, it's, it seems like it's been a crazy summer. People are coming and going. Our family's been traveling. So just to be together this morning with you again is such a treasure. And uh, I just want to say welcome. Man, we are glad to be together this morning. And to get to, to worship God and sing these songs of praise together, it's such a, such a great blessing. And hey, if it's your first time here, I want you to know we're so glad. We're so glad you're here. And in a time in our world and in our city where it seems like so many things are spinning out of control, it's good to come to a place where we can sing songs about how good our God is and read the words of Scripture and be reminded about what is true and to, to maybe, just maybe today, hear a word from God. Uh, this summer, we've been tracking through the stories of Jesus. We call them parables. Uh, these stories that Jesus often told. And so many times when he told them, he, he would start off with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would describe what the kingdom of heaven is like. And it, oftentimes it was sort of an upside down kind of idea that, that, that took maybe what we thought before and turned it on its head. And, and, and this morning as we kind of lean into the stories of Jesus again, I, I just can't help but thinking as we look at the world around us, man, this is not what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? Are you feeling that with me? As we look around, even last Sunday as we gather in this room to pray for our city, these prayer stations are set up. And by the way, if you need at any point to just make your way to a prayer station, you won't bother me do that. Write a prayer to God. That's completely cool. But last week, as we're, as we're offering prayers to God on behalf of those who've been victims of violence or have suffered great loss or praying for our nation, praying for the tragedies that are going on all around us, News is breaking of another shooting in Baton Rouge. And we're reminded that this is not what the kingdom of heaven is like. And if you're like me, at least my entire life growing up, I always thought, you know, when I thought about heaven, I thought about this place that one day we're going to go to where there's no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and the streets are made of gold and there's pearly gates and St. Peter's going to give us a high five on the way in. It's going to be great. And no doubt, I don't want to discourage you, there is a place called heaven. And one day we will join Jesus in that place. But as I read the words of Scripture, Jesus seemed to say an awful lot about the kingdom of heaven. And whenever he told these stories, he was talking more about what happens here than what is going to happen there. And this morning, what I want us to do again today is just lean into the words of Jesus and to see if we can figure out again, you know, what Jesus was talking about when he talked about the kingdom of heaven, when he was trying to describe to us what life looks like in God's economy, when he was trying to teach us how we treat each other, and we need to hear this, don't we, church, who share God's identity, and what, what happens when we participate in making things on earth as they are in heaven. Man, it's a huge calling for us, and we had no idea when we started the series what we'd be walking into. But God is good, and he has a word for us today. When you were a kid, did you ever play a game called Mercy? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you know, for all of you who are like my age or maybe even a little bit older, you know, in the generation before screens when the only video game we had was Pong, you had to come up with other inventive ideas to spend your time. And so kids these days have no idea what this is because they don't have to invent anything. But, you know, we, we would play games called Mercy, and it was just a game we invented where you take your fingers and you interlock your hand with somebody else's hand and you start to squeeze, right? And you know how this works. 
uh, maybe you cried uncle or maybe you cried some other name or word, but, you know, we always would cry the word mercy. And the idea was whoever could squeeze the other person's hand the hardest and the longest would win because someone was bound to be stronger. Someone was bound to have a, a lower pain tolerance or a higher pain tolerance than the other person. So you would squeeze long enough and hard enough and eventually someone would scream mercy and then you would let go and, you know, you would be victorious or they would be victorious and you would laugh and then you would forget about how bad it hurt. And you would play all over again because you were a dumb kid. Um, or I, I, was, I should say I was. Certainly not any of you. Um, yeah, and so this was the game that we play. We, we play this game called Mercy. And, and, it, and I was thinking about it this week. I feel like this is what's going on with us right now, you know? So many of us, we've got white knuckles because we're holding on so hard. And we're squeezing as tight as we can. And we're looking around the world. And it's like, man, we're crying mercy. Because we look around the world around us and we've got problems at home. And we're holding on as tight as we can. And we can't figure them out. We've got problems at work. And we're holding on as tight as we can. We've got problems in our marriage. We've got problems with our kids. We've got problems that, that are unsolvable. We got, maybe it's just been one of those weeks where everything that could go wrong has go wrong. And you're holding on as hard as you can. And you're crying mercy like something's got to give, right? My dad, my dad, uh, my dad, some of you have met my dad. Uh, he was the son of a bricklayer. And so many days growing up as a kid, he would be out you know, mixing mortar, you know. Uh, he was, as long as I've known him, my dad's been a carpenter, and so he's always worked with wood. And, and my dad's hands are, are huge. Like, physically, they're big, but they're also thick. And, you know, as a kid, if I was going to play mercy with my dad, I would lock my fingers with his, and I would begin to squeeze, and, and he would say, okay, go. And I'd be like, I've been going, you know, for like 10 minutes. And then he would just, would just, just, just he would just flex his fingers, right? And I would scream in pain because my dad's hands, they were, they were huge. Uh, and, and it didn't take much effort at all for him to, to get a yelp out of me. And some of us, I feel like that's kind of where we are. We've been, we've been holding hands with the world. And man, it's just been one of those times where we're crying mercy, mercy. Because we are keenly aware that we live in a world where injustice is running rampant. And we cry mercy. We're keenly aware that we live in a world where half the world's population is living on less than $2 a day. And so there are people, there are children starving in need of medical attention, in need of shelter, because they're so dirt poor, they don't have the resources they need, and we cry mercy. We're, we're keenly aware that right now, in 2016, there are 27 million people today trapped in slavery. Slavery is not over. It's still going on. And many of those people live right here in our country. We're keenly aware that in the United States alone, every year 199,000 incidents of sexual exploitation of minors takes place in the United States. That's one every three minutes. And the time I'm going to talk to you today, how many kids is that going to be? What, 10? That are victimized. We cry mercy. We live in a time where, where it doesn't take much to look around and to realize all that is broken, all that's going wrong, all the hurt, all the pain. We all know someone who's affected by cancer. We all know someone who's affected by divorce. We all know someone who has lost someone they loved. We all know someone who has somebody that's fighting for our freedom in a far off land. We all know people because we are all experiencing the same thing and we cry Mercy, And we haven't even talked about politics or guns or violence or shootings or what's going to happen tomorrow. And we cry and we cry and we cry mercy. And we just 
We just think, something's got to give. How long, O oh Lord? That's our prayer. We cry for mercy. And what I want to do today is I just want to remind you that this has long been the case. That we have long lived in a world that's been subject to violence. We have long lived in a world that's subject to injustice. But as believers in Jesus of Nazareth, we have unparalleled hope because we have uncommon access to the one, the only one, who can help us in our time of need. And I want to prove that to you by one of the stories, one of my favorite stories that Jesus ever told. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a, a device with a Bible on it, open that up to Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 2. I want, to, I want to share with you a story that Jesus told his disciples. His audience was, was those who were following him. So this story is really applicable to you and me because I think all of us in the room, we're striving, we're trying, we're leaning into what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and by the way, if you're here this morning and that's not you, you're not sure about this old God thing, this old Jesus thing, I want you to listen into the story because I think there's a word for you. I want you to hear what Jesus says to all of us who are trying to follow him about what it means to follow him because this is, I believe, step one in what it means to be the church in a time such as this, in this day and age. So in Luke 18, verse 2, Jesus tells the story. It's a great story. He says, there was a judge in a certain city. And he said, uh, who neither feared God nor cared about people. So Jesus is going to set up a couple of characters like he does in his story sometimes. And this first character in this story is about a judge. And, and by all standards of their culture and their time, by all the scripture they have as, as the Jewish people, if you were a person who did not fear God and who did not care about people, you already broke two commands that were central in Torah and, and scripture. And you know these commands as Christians too, that we love God and we love each other. This judge didn't care about God and he didn't care about people. So already he is set up as sort of the, 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 the evil guy in the story. And sometimes people read this parable and they think the judge is God. And I just want to caution you, if you think for a moment that this, the, the evil judge in the story is God, you need to rethink the story because this judge is nothing like God. Verse 2, or verse 3. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this, in this dispute with my enemy. So now we have the widow in the story. And the widow is a person who is, who, who is poor and who is powerless. Uh, she has, uh, if you're a widow in that time and age, uh, you're, really, you're really vulnerable, right? Because, um, well, for one, you, you can't inherit your husband's property when he dies. Uh, there's no opportunity for employment. And there's no social wel welfare system to set up that takes care of you and your needs if you're left all alone, you're stranded. So this widow who is poor and powerless and has, is completely vulnerable and completely exposed goes to the one person in the community that can maybe help her, this, this judge, and he asks him for help. Verse 4, the judge ignored her for a while. But finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. Uh, this is not me saying this, this is like him saying this. This woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. 
So Jesus is telling this story, and this judge ends up doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And what's funny is, I think Jesus' followers, as they're listening to this, tell the story, at this point, they start laughing. Because literally, in the original language, you could translate this a different way. You could say that this woman, the part that says she's wearing me out with her constant complaints, you could say that, that she's wearing me out and she's going to hit me in the eye, or she's going to give me a black eye if I don't help her out, Right? And so you just imagine this poor old widow that's going to go up to this judge and just wear him out with her purse, right? Like, he's going to help me. And everybody's laughing along saying, oh, he, he better help her. He's going to get it, right? And so everybody sees the same thing, that this judge responds to this widow because of her persistence. This judge comes in and helps her, even though he doesn't care about God or care about people. But he, he does the right thing, even though it's for the wrong reason, because of her persistence. And then Jesus says this in verse 6. Then the Lord said, Learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think that God will surely give justice to his chosen people who, and hear these words, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. In other words, Jesus says, you should know, you should know, your God is nothing like this unjust judge. Your God is nothing like him. When you cry out to him, he hears you. When you cry out to him, he answers quickly. When you cry out to him, he listens. When you cry out to him, he wants to do justice for you. Your God is nothing like this evil judge in the story. And if you ever thought for a moment that your God is like this judge, let me tell you, let me, let me, let me set it straight right now, he's not. And Jesus doesn't just say that, that he, he gives justice to his chosen people who pray quietly to him in a corner. He says this. He uses these words, and I think he uses them on purpose, that he gives justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night. Now, some of you have known this. You've seen this in Scripture before, and if you've missed it somehow, I want to call your attention to it today, that over and over and over in Scripture, and Jesus does it right here, there's a difference in prayer and in praying, and in crying out to God. Some of you know this just because you've experienced this. The Psalms are replete with this language. In fact, if, if you would just listen to some of these Psalms, let me highlight it for you. Where it says this, Morning, noon, and night, I cry out in my distress. I cry out to God Most High, to God who will fulfill His purpose for me. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day, and I come to you at night. I rise early before the sun is up. I cry out for help and put my hope in your words. Over and over again throughout the Psalms, these prayers that were spoken prayers, by the way. They weren't just read or meditated on. These spoken prayers, these words that were read aloud. The psalmist says over and over again that he would cry out to God. The first Christians, you know this if you think back over your scripture. The first Christians were known as people who called on the name of the Lord, who cried out to God. You see, there's a difference. There's a difference in, in praying. This isn't the prayer you pray before you eat your tacos. This isn't the praying you do as you fall asleep at night. And it's not that prayer that you didn't finish because you fell asleep before you finished your prayer. This isn't the, the prayer we, we, we do in, in the morning when we rise. These are the prayers where you cry out to God because you need him to hear you and you need him to answer. And Jesus says, when you cry out to God, when you, when you cry out to God, 
He hears you. He hears you. And he's ready to answer your prayer. Man, I think this is so powerful. It's so powerful to be reminded that what you and I get to do when we pray to God is not just pray, but cry out to him. And Luke says this, I don't know if you call it this, but if you back up to the very first verse, we skipped it. Luke 18, verse one, Luke says this about the story that Jesus just told. He said, as his disciples gathered, he, he wanted to tell them a story to show them how they should always pray and never give up. Like this is what disciples of Jesus do. This is who we are. This is what, what marks us, what sets us apart as the people of God, that we are the people who, who pray and never give up. We are the people who cry out to God and we never give up. Like this is our function, by the way, in the community. This is what we do in the way of serving the world. We are the ones who cry out to God, who pray and never, ever give up. And the moment you stop praying is the moment you stop being a disciple of Jesus because the disciples of Jesus, what we do is we pray. And we never, ever give up. We pray. And we never, ever give up. And we don't pray to prove anything. We don't pray to prove that we have a relationship with God. Prayer is the evidence of our relationship to God. So the way you pray to God, it reveals the quality of the relationship you have with God. Like this is what happens when you pray. And some of you know people like this who, who when they pray, it's, it's different. It's like they're leaning into something. And what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, what you're hearing is that it's, it's revealing relationship, a depth of relationship that they have with God. And this is what happens as we cry out to God. This is what happens when we cry out to God. And I want to ask you, when's the last time you cried out to God? We look around at the world, at the situation, at our circumstances. We look around at our families and our problems and the things that we're going through. And I wonder, when's the last time we cried out to God? And for some of you who, who maybe feel far from God this morning, this, is, this may be the reason why. Because you may think, well, I did cry out to God and nothing happened. Or for some of you who are in the room this morning and you're not really sure how you got here, but you're here and, and, and you don't even have faith in God but you're hearing this this morning, you're thinking this is the reason I don't believe in God because I don't, I don't think this happens. I don't think you can cry out to God and anything will happen. A couple of years ago, I haven't shared this story with you guys before. Some of you may be aware of it, but almost two years ago, Alicia and I got the phone call that every parent hates to get. I had been in Mexico a week or two before and our son Will at the time was six, maybe seven and um, he had this spot on his ear, this, this, this area on his ear that was suspicious. And, and, and Alicia was concerned and worried. And like any good father, I wasn't. <laughs> I was like, it's no big deal. He's six. What, what could be wrong? He's seven. What's, what's the big deal? But she, she took him to the dermatologist just, just to have it looked at and checked out. And as soon as the doctor saw it, she was like, we've got to get that biopsied and checked right away. Okay, here we go. So one thing leads to another. Uh, we have the first one done, biopsy done, and they send it off, and it comes back inconclusive. And Alicia gets this call as she's pulling in. She'd just been hired to teach at, at, at a school there in Atlanta, and she calls me at 8, 8.30 that morning, and she's, she's all, you know, frantic. And the doctor said it's inconclusive. We have to get him in to see 
um, a melanoma specialist. And the problem is, uh, for children, there's no such thing as a pediatric melanoma specialist because it's so rare. It happens, but it's so rare that a kid would be diagnosed with, with this kind of cancer. And so one thing leads to another, and it ends up with me and Will sitting in the office of this, uh, this oncologist. And to be honest, it was kind of weird because we're looking around and there's just a bunch of, no offense, but just a bunch of old people in there. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, these are the kinds of people who struggle with this thing most of the time, a lot of the time. And, and we're really out of place. In fact, when I walked up to check us in, the lady at the desk was like, oh, you must be in the wrong place. And I'm like, no unfortunately we're in the right place and she said well let me check with the doctor and she calls back to the doctor and he's like yeah I I took this case she says okay have a seat so we do and we go back to meet with with this incredible doctor Dr. Davidson and he looks at Will and he says okay we're going to need to get another biopsy to confirm or deny what this might be or might not be and this is true in our family. It's especially true for, for Will that there's a struggle there with fear and anxiety, especially when someone wants to like cut off part of your skin and you're seven years old. And so we go back to, to the exam room, I guess you would call it. And the doctor said, okay, we're going to, you know, dad come in. We're going we're gonna to lay him down. It, it's really, a, honestly, a simple procedure. They're going to, you know, cut off a, a small piece of skin. They're going to do one stitch and put a Band-Aid. It'll be done. But Will, and we talked about this last night, so I could share this with you this morning, was incredibly terrified in this moment. And I go in with him, and he is kicking and screaming and yelling at me, you know, pushing me away, kick, I mean, just trying to get me as far away as possible because he doesn't want to get on the table where they can do this procedure. And, and we get him over there, and we're trying to hold him down. He's yelling, he's screaming, he's kicking, and it's not working, and we don't know what to do. And everybody's being real. I mean, they have taken so much time with us and with him. And finally, the doctor looks at me and he says, okay, dad, why don't we have you step out of the room and let's see if we can get him calmed down to do this procedure. And, and, and I'm, I've tried to be, you know, a non-anxious presence the whole time. And, and, and I'm like, okay, that's fine. And so as soon as Will registers those words that I'm leaving, he flips a switch. And now he runs across the room and like grabs onto my leg and climbs up my body. He's latched onto me and he will not let go. And he's screaming, dad, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. And he's got, he's got me locked in. And now I have to peel my son off of my body to put him back on this exam table so they can do this procedure to see if my son has cancer or not. And they usher me out of the room, and I'm supposed to go sit in the waiting room down the hall. But they close the door, and I'm standing right in front of the door. And the whole time, my son is screaming, Dad, Dad, where are you? Dad, Dad, come help me. Dad, Dad. And they're trying to hold him down. They're trying to get him still enough to do this procedure. And he's yelling, and he's screaming. And he thinks I've gone. He he thinks I'm far away. But you and I both know, like any good dad, I'm as close as I can possibly be. The end of the story is, is he's fine. I don't want you to worry. But I want you to hear this this morning is that some of you have been crying out to God for a long, long time. And you don't feel like he hears you. And you don't feel like he's acting on your behalf. But I want you to know he's as close as he can possibly be. And he may feel absence, but, but, but your feelings don't change the fact of his presence. Do you, do you know that? Like your emotions don't change the reality of the fact that even though God may feel like he's far away, he is right on the other side of the door. And while you may not know if he can hear you, he can hear every single word. 
And even though you're not sure because your eyes are filled with tears, his eyes are filled with tears too. And he would break down the door and come to the other side if he felt like he needed to because he loves you that much. But as a good, good father and as a good, good judge, he's going to do exactly what is appropriate and what is right for your good and for his ultimate glory. And if you've ever doubted God for a moment, I want to call you back into the truth that your God is not like this unjust judge. His love for you is deep. His love for you is perfect. His love for you is uncompromising and unyielding. It is relentless. And I want, you, I want to invite you to once again, not just pray, but cry out to God. I, I, I know that right now some of you have got problems in your marriage or with your kids or with your job or with grief or with addiction or with fill in the blank. There are so many problems that we are wrestling with on an individual level. And in this city, we haven't even talked about There are people that are dying. There are children who are in need. There's people who are homeless. We haven't even touched on politics and the election that's around the corner. What do we do? What do, people are asking the question, what do we do? This is what we do. This is what the church does. This is what Riverside does. We cry out to God. We pray to God. We fill this cross up with prayers where it can't hold anymore. When we break in a minute to pray around the room, we've got people standing in lines. Because this is what we do. We, we cry out to the one. We have unparalleled hope because we have uncommon access to the one who can change everything for us. And even if he doesn't, it's because he's changing something in us. And we have faith to believe that he is good. And his love endures forever. And whatever happens, we put our trust in him and him alone. What do we do? We cry out to God. That's what we do. That's what we do. We cry out to God. I mean, Elijah cried out to God and fire fell from heaven. Moses cried out to God and the waters parted. Jesus cried out to God and the storm stopped. You remember the stories? They're true. The church cried out to God, and this angel came and rescued Peter from jail in the middle of the night. Paul and Silas cried out to God in the middle of the night, in the middle of a jail, and the earth shook. Their chains fell off. The gates flew open. They could have escaped, but they didn't. Do you know why? Because there was a jailer there who needed Jesus. And they stayed, and that night he and his family were baptized. What I want you to know, what I want you to hear, what I want you to see is that when people cry out to God, things happen. Unexplainable, unexpected, uncommon things happen for the people of God when we cry out to God. We have unparalleled hope because we have uncommon access to the one who can change everything. What do we do? We always pray, and we never give up. What do we do? We always pray, and we never, ever 
give up. Church, if you would stand with me. In just a moment, we're going to sing, and the praise team's going to lead us in a song. And I'm going to invite our elders and their wives, if they want to make their way around the room to do that. And if you need prayer this morning, if you need someone to cry out to God for you because you don't have a voice to cry out to him yourself, let me, let me just say it again. That's what we want to do. We've talked before about what do we want to be known for here at Riverside. Man, I'd love for us to be known for this. As a church that prays. As a church that cries out to God in our, in our time of need. That this is the defining marker of, of what we do and who we are. That we are a people who pray in faith and humility to a God who hears. And this morning, what I want to call you into is into this identity of being a people. To being a people that cry out to God often. And so maybe on the way home today, you need to pull the car over on the side of the road and, and not just pray, but cry out to God. Maybe today when you're going to work and, and it's just another one of those days, you need to go to lunch by yourself and find a place in the middle of the woods where you can just cry out to God. Maybe tonight is before you go to bed, instead of saying your normal prayers, you need to get on your knees and cry out to God. Whatever it is, whatever's going on in your life, in your world, in your story, I want to ask you to cry out to the one. To your father who hears who hears and who loves and who knows and who's ready because I know we're all searching for answers far and wide but I know there's someone there's someone who hears us when we cry out to him he's a good good father if you need to pray Come find somebody to pray with. But let's sing this song as a prayer to God.